little while ago I uh, stumbled on an interesting website that listed the most commonly mentioned people in the Bible. So nothing at all to do with how theologically important the person may or may not be, but solely based on how often their name appears in the text, this site listed the 10 most mentioned people in the Bible. Anyone want to guess who number one was? Out of both the Old and New Testament, remember, whose name, apart from God, whose name do you reckon appears most in the entire Bible? Abraham. Oh. No, Abraham came in 10th. Anyone else? Moses came in third. David came in second. Jesus. <laughs> How cool is that? Jesus came first. I reckon that's pretty good considering he actually doesn't, as a name, get a Guernsey till the New Testament. Uh, Jesus came in first. Uh, David, Moses, Jacob, Aaron came in fifth. Saul came in sixth, which knowing Saul, he'd be pretty chuffed to make the top ten. <laughs> Most mentioned people in the Bible, and I raise it this morning by way of contrast really because this morning I want to introduce you to perhaps two of the least mentioned names in the Bible, two people, neither of whom are probably all that well known, but both of whom appear in the letter of 3 John and I'd like to introduce them to you precisely because of something that 3 John says. See, look at verse 13. Dear friends... Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil, they haven't seen God. Now, it's because of what that verse is saying that I want us to meet these two people. Because as we meet them, we will very much discover from the things that 3 John tells us, some good to imitate and some evil to not imitate. Abraham Lincoln once said he never met a person he couldn't learn something from, even if it was sometimes what not to do. Well, that's certainly the case this morning with these two people. So in order of appearance in the text, let me firstly introduce you to a fellow named Gaius. And right from the very start, you may have noticed that what's obvious about him is that he and the Apostle John are very close. John himself says so three times. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, in my NIV, John refers to him as dear friend. Probably a bit of an understatement. ESV's got beloved. He's writing to a precious brother. Especially so because if there's one word that seems to categorise him, it's the word faithful. Faithful to the truth and faithful towards other Christians. Look, for example, at verse 3. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Do you notice that delightful phrase that that gets repeated there in verses 3 and 4 about how here is a brother walking in the truth. That is a lovely word picture, walking in the truth. It implies, I don't know, a deliberate, steady, methodical pace, nothing flashy, nothing showy, just simply slowly moving forward, living out the truth of the gospel, 
living out the truth of God's word, living out the truth that we have freely been pardoned from sin because of Jesus' death on the cross, living out the truth that everything we've ever done wrong wiped away, living out the truth that we've been adopted into God's family by God's goodness and grace alone, living out the truth that we've been showered with every spiritual blessing living out the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God and therefore step by step just becoming more like Jesus as every day goes by. Not because it qualifies us to be in God's kingdom but because we are in God's kingdom. And so step by step just putting sin to death because in Christ we have died to sin. Step by step just becoming who we are in Christ, walking in the truth. Walking. Sounds like it should be easy. Sometimes it's not, is it? I mean, this this world is very persuasive at getting us to walk to the beat of a different drum. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been watching movies and I've been so swayed by the emotion of the story that I've caught myself wanting, wanting married couples to break up or cheering on some vigilante who's viciously hunting down and killing everyone who's ever wronged them. That's not the truth of God's word telling me to think like that. That's not living out who I am in Christ. Walking. Sounds like it should be easy. Sometimes it's not. How are you going at it? Walking in the truth. I'm not asking how you're going at preaching the truth. I'm not asking how you're going at maybe writing the truth in essays. How are you going at walking in it? That slow, methodical, steady movement of becoming who you are in Christ. In the way you treat your friends. In the way you speak to your wife. In the way you talk about your husband in the things you do when no one's watching. Gaius is a great encouragement. If you know someone like him, why not tell them what an encouragement they are to you, the way John does here? Mind you, it's not just his faithfulness to the truth that John mentions, it's actually his faithfulness to other Christians that takes us more to the heart of the letter. Verse 5, dear friends, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You'll do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. John's writing to commend Gaius for his loving support of others. Verse 7 describes them as going out for the sake of the name. In other words, these are presumably people who have left their jobs for the sake of telling other people about Jesus. And even though Gaius has never met some of them, verse 5 says they're strangers to him, he's still being generous in opening his home, showing hospitality, perhaps even helping with the money. It's a good thing he's doing. Maybe he's actually been doing it for a long time. In Romans, the Apostle Paul refers to a Gaius there who he says, quote, is host to me and the whole church. Now, it's not too hard to imagine. It's the same bloke here. It sounds like he's been doing this for years, just graciously, generously, 
habitually welcoming and hosting other brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember verse 11? Imitate what's good. In fact, nestled in there at verse 8, there's a delightful word of encouragement as to why we should do it all the more. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Now, if you've got an ESV, it uses the word fellow workers. Literally, it says, we therefore ought to entertain such men in order that co-workers, we might become with them, co-workers. It's a term of equal standing, equal importance, equal value. In other words, John is saying that by supporting and caring for these gospel workers, Gaius is equally important to the cause of the gospel as the workers themselves. They are fellow workers for the truth. Friends, this is a great reminder to value and hold precious those who might be supporting you. Because my guess is that for many of you here, you are examples of those who, for the sake of the name, are preparing to go out. You're equipping yourself for a lifetime of ministry, which is a great privilege to be able to do something like that. And it's only possible because of co-workers who support us, beloved brothers and sisters who give money, maybe to you personally, perhaps more generally to the college, but who do it so that you can then give yourself fully to the work of the gospel by being trained in a place like this. People who have your photo on their fridge and who maybe have actually prayed for you this very morning. Are you hearing the affection and the love which John writes to Gaius with? Because it's with that same affection and love that we should be giving thanks to God for the co-workers who support us. So... John says to imitate what is good. Gaius gives us some good things to imitate. Faithfulness to the truth. Living out who we are in Christ day by day. Faithfulness in valuing and loving and supporting brothers and sisters in Christ. Mind you, not everyone in 3 John is this impressive. Which brings me to the second person I'd like us to meet. Diotrephes, verse 9. I write to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. Within the pages of the New Testament, I don't reckon there's much worse that could be written about you than what John says there. After all Jesus' teaching about how his followers ought to be servants of all, out of all Jesus' teaching about how in the kingdom of God the last will be first and the first will be last, after all of Jesus' teaching about even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. Diotrephes, he loves to be first. Imagine one of the apostles putting that in writing about you. It doesn't end there because flowing out of that one damning statement... John now goes on to describe how this guy seems to be the polar opposite of Gaius. 
for starters, rather than being faithful to the truth, here is a guy who is very careless with the truth. You can tell that by the way verse 10 explains that the guy's been gossiping maliciously about John, which is what my NIV has. If you've got the ESV, it describes it as wicked nonsense. The guy's been lying through his teeth. He's making stuff up. He's, he's leading a smear campaign against the Apostle John. Why would you do that? He loves to be first. Doesn't want to share the limelight with anyone. Prepared to be selective in the truth. Heck, prepared to make stuff up so as to always be looking good. Doesn't end there. Verse 10. So if I come, I'll call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us, not satisfied with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. This guy really is the polar opposite of Gaius' faithfulness. He's careless with the truth. He's uncaring for brothers and sisters in Christ. This is awful. And it's a terrible thought, but I would be negligent as a Bible teacher if I didn't ask it. Is this something that maybe you need to hear this morning? this warning about how truly obscene it is to love to be first. And look, I'm sure we can be much more subtle about it and outwardly more nice about it, but could there be a part of diatrophies in us? The desire to be noticed, the desire to be appreciated, the desire to be complimented, the desire to be on the inner circle. It's a helpful little letter in this way, reminding us to keep our self-interest in check and to be really careful how we treat other brothers and sisters in Christ. Really careful. Because in full-time ministry, there is a danger to just manipulate others to our own ends, to show favouritism, to hang out with those who will help our agenda, to orchestrate events to win the praise of others so that we'll feel good about ourselves. It's an internal battle in me this very moment. The desire for you here at Moore College to think highly of me as a result of a talk as opposed to my desire to simply want to encourage you to keep walking in the truth. It's good to heed this warning. A church family, a college community, it's not a project. It's not a plaything. It's brothers and sisters in Christ, deeply treasured by Jesus. And there will come a day where we'll have to face the risen Christ, and he will have taken it very personally if we have ever manipulated his family for our ends. That's what Diotrephes is doing. He loves to be first. And dear friends, don't imitate what's evil, but what is good. So there you got it. Two guys, Gaius and Diotrephes. 
perhaps not two of the most well-known people in the New Testament, but two people that we can learn a few things from in terms of what not to do and what to do. And look, I know there's a third person that gets mentions there. Demetrius pops up in verse 12, doesn't he? Uh, Maybe he's the guy delivering the letter. Maybe he's one of those brothers who have gone out for the sake of the name and this letter is to encourage Gaius to show him hospitality despite what Diotrephes has been up to. Look, for the sake of time, I'll leave you to chew over that sort of stuff. I think we've already got enough dots to join here because think about it. John is writing to Gaius to encourage him for showing hospitality to visiting Christian brothers. Meanwhile, he criticises Diotrephes for not welcoming Christian brothers and, in fact, putting out of the church those who have been. Now, putting two and two together, what's possibly happened is that Gaius is one of those people who have been put out of the church, which is perhaps why John is writing to him. He wants to encourage him that even though he's been kicked out, which is what Diotrephes has been doing to anyone who's been welcoming the brothers, even though he may have been kicked out, John wants him to know that he hasn't done anything wrong. Keep imitating what is good. That might explain what he says in verse 1 where he says, my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now that I in the verse is actually quite emphatic. It's almost as if he's saying, look, others may be giving you a hard time for it. I love what you're doing. Keep walking in the truth. Keep living out who you are in Jesus. Keep valuing other brothers and sisters in Christ, which all the more lifts Gaius off the page as a person worth imitating. For here is someone who sees how precious gospel workers are, here is someone who is a co-worker with them as he cares for brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't know about you, but for me, looking at this letter, that was a great reality check. See, every week I still go through my Bible talks out loud with Sue. I went through this one with her. Which, just as an aside, if you don't do that with your spouse, I strongly recommend it for a whole range of reasons, not the least of which it is a wonderful way to be in ministry partnership together. But anyway, occasionally as we go through the talks uh, and we've got to the end of it and we've been all through it, Sue has this great capacity to occasionally just say, so what about us? What What do you reckon we need to work on most because of this passage? And for three, John, it was this lesson of of just how truly precious other believers, co-workers in Christ are. Because over the years, at different times, I have found it very easy to lose sight of that. I don't know about whether you've experienced it, but I go along to Sunday meetings or to a small group or I try and organise a ministry or try and start up a new initiative... And people don't do what I want. And some of those people can be really awkward and really hard to get on with and really difficult to please. And they make disappointing decisions that frustrate what I want to do. And it's really easy to fall into a a me and them mentality. 
an almost professional client mentality. That's awful. It should be an us-together mentality. It's a precious co-worker mentality. It's a it-doesn't-matter-if-I'm-not-first mentality. Gaius got that. Diotrephes lacked that. And dear friends, don't imitate what is evil. Imitate what's good. I'll pray. Father, thank you for this precious little gem in your word. And Father, we pray that strengthened and encouraged by it, we would indeed continue to walk in the truth, living out who we are in Christ by imitating the good. Father, help us to strive for selflessness as Christ was selfless to us. Father, help us to be the followers of Jesus that you have called us to be and that you have made us to be in Christ. And Father, we do want to thank you for those precious brothers and sisters who are co-workers together with us, granting us through your grace the enormous privilege it is to be full-time workers for the gospel so that you might be on it and that the word of Jesus might be spread. Father, we pray that by your word and spirit you would continue your good work in us as we imitate the good. Amen.